the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized in 2012 as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Horses Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hello. This weekend, we have our engineer, producer, Chris Cordani. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm pretty good today, Mike. Thanks. Okay, now, this show is about estate planning and elder law. At least the first part of the show is about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. The second part of the show, we interview celebrities and we talk about history, politics, religion. Tonight, we're going to be talking a little bit about medicine. And we have a really fascinating character on for this week's show, Dr. Michael Brescia. But in any event, let's get back to estate planning and elder law. Chris, you saw a WABC news report, and, and what what's the story about? I found this one interesting, Mike, and I thought you would uh, like to hear about this one. It's a story from WABC about an 80-year-old Manhattan man who left his fortune to his doorman and some workers in his building in a handwritten will. The gentleman's name is uh, uh, Steve, uh, Sullivan Evans, Stephen Sullivan Evans. He was a tenant in an Upper East Side apartment and left his uh, doorman, a 48, 48-year-old worker, his $4.2 million second-floor studio apartment, Okay. There's also some uh, a lot of uh, money in a CD involved and uh, and over three million dollars worth of shares of GE. However, the will was handwritten. It was signed, but it was written on one of those composition papers, like you'd see in the old first third grade notebooks with the lines and everything. Apparently, we're not clear if there was a witness or anything like that. It just was. It's being challenged by the nephew. Now, remember, Evans doesn't have any kids and didn't marry, so the nephew says everything should be his. What do you think? Now, now the judge ruled in favor of uh, a judge ruled in favor of uh, the nephew. Well, this is one of the, the the myths that go around every once in a while that if you handwrite a will in your own handwriting, it's valid. Well, it is in Texas, it is in Louisiana, it is in Canada, but it's not valid in New York. A will to be valid in New York has to be published. In other words, the person who's making the will has to say in front of two witnesses, "I declare this to be my will." The witnesses have to be asked to witness the will. The two witnesses have to sign their names to the will. And now some people believe that the signatures of the witnesses have to be notarized. That by itself will not will not knock the will out. 
But in this case, it's not clear whether there were two witnesses or where they signed their name. So I'm going to assume that's the reason why the the will was knocked out. And, and here's the thing. I can't believe that a guy with a $7 million estate will resort to having a will on a notebook. And, and I can't believe that somebody with a $700,000 estate would do that. But I see it happen. People talk about penny wise and pound foolish. People should not do their own wills. And I don't care if you have $15,000 in the bank or whether you have $15 million. You should not do your own will. It's just too easy to mess up. Beth, uh, I, I mean, what do you think about the story? You know, I think there are a lot of people, as they, as they age, they become more solitary. And a lot of people don't trust lawyers. Um, and... If if this is really this man's writing, I think he probably had good intentions. You know, he he pulled out this a composition pad, whatever it is, and he wrote it all out, and then he signed it. And um, that may indeed have been what he wanted. But the rules in New York State are there for a reason, because um, a lot of times. I mean, the doorman and all the people, I don't know if he's the only person in in the handwritten will, but he could have been just a wonderful person. And yes, indeed, the 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 man thought, well, this is my family now, and this is this is who I want to leave myself. But a lot of times, there are people around senior citizens who take advantage of them um, when they age. So New York State, there there are reasons that they say, okay, we we want you can have your will and you sign it, but you must sign it in front of at least two witnesses. Those people must be willing then to say yes, I saw him sign it, and that is what he wanted. Um, and and you do that to protect people. It's you know, I'm the last person to say you know all these regulations. Holy smoke, where are they coming from? But guess what? I I don't think this is. I don't think it's too much to ask. It's unfortunate that if this is indeed what this man wanted, um, that he didn't go to someone who knew how to ex- execute the will, draft and execute it properly. But um, it's done, and it's you know going to go to court, and um, it sounds like the judge just said, you know, I'm so sorry, but this is just not the way it's done here. But, um, and this is where some people make a lot of mistakes right now, and it's happening more and more. They print up wills off the Internet, different companies or whatever. They try to fill it in. They make mis- mistakes in, in filling in the blanks, and they don't get it properly witnessed. You know, a will's not just a form. You fill it out right, it goes through. A will is a writing witnessed by two people that are willing to testify in court that they witnessed a will in accordance with the laws of the state of New York, which, again, what does that mean? It means the person declared the document to be his or her will. They asked the witnesses to witness the will, that the person who made the will, the testator, signed the will, and the two witnesses signed the will. Now, there's some myths. I mean, not dating the will, believe it or not, is not by itself fatal. Now, it could cause a problem if you have two wills because then you don't know which one is later in date. And in theory, the later in date will controls. But in and of itself, not dating the will does not make the will invalid. Not signing the will obviously would make it invalid, but not having it witnessed by two people would make it invalid. So 
if you want to do things right, see a lawyer. If you want to see us at Connors & Sullivan, you're more than welcome to do it. You can schedule an appointment at one of our offices. We're in Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, and Manhattan. You can call one of our offices, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. We don't charge for the initial consultation. Everything we do as far as estate planning and elder law is in a flat fee basis. We charge by the job, not by the hour. We're going to take a short break, then we're going to be talking to Henry Sire, who has a new book about Pope Francis. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500, or connorsandsullivan.com. Hello, this is Father Frank Pavone of Priests for Life. The pro-life movement is winning. One of the signs of progress is the growing mountain of medical evidence that abortion harms women, men, and families. Even researchers who identify themselves as pro-choice are coming to this conclusion and publishing their research. Abortion advocates try to hide and bury this information. But so much of it continues to come out that their efforts to hide it will not succeed much longer. Abortion really destroys itself. The more it continues, the more it reveals itself as an enemy of the human family. Those who advocate abortion say they care about women's health. But if they do, then they will have no honest rationale for ignoring the harm that abortion does. As the mountain of medical evidence against abortion grows, so should our hope that it will end. This is Father Frank Pavone, National Director of Priests for Life. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. With me right now is author Henry Sear, and he has a book out, Dictator Pope. How are you doing today, Henry? I'm well, and I'm glad to be with you. Okay, so I think your title and, and your book may not be popular in some circles, but why do you call Pope Francis the Dictator Pope? Well, I wanted to characterize the, uh, the way in, in which he actually governs, uh, the, the way which uh, is familiar in the uh, Vatican. But I, I also wanted to draw attention to uh, Bergoglio's past in Argentina because he, um, he was brought up uh, as a boy in the time of the dictator Juan Perón, who's dominated Argentinian uh, politics ever since. And he, he was uh, an open follower of Juan Perón. And uh, one needs to un- understand this background in order to understand his style. Why should the Catholic, uh, you know, layperson involved with the Catholic Church, why should they read your book? And what was your purpose behind writing the book? Well, we have a very exceptional pope. Uh, Bergoglio is very different from uh, the popes that uh, Catholics have been accustomed to. 
for, for generations. And uh, I think it's necessary that um, uh, Catholics should realize the uh, kind of pope we have, uh, in particular the fact that uh, um, Pope Francis uh, really has a political priority which, uh, uh, which is more important for him than his role as, uh, as head of the Catholic Church. And uh, this explains his uh, rather puzzling behavior as Pope. Can you give us some examples? This is something, you know, it's not an accusation of mine. It's something that his own admirers uh, will uh, stress. Um, Pope Francis has this uh, program of uh, uniting the Latin American countries into what they call the Patria Grande, the, the great fatherland or the big fatherland, and in particular to um, uh, <clears throat> gather them together against um, the, the domination of the United States. And this was um, a, a big element in his program. Of course, it's been um, badly upset by the um, election of Donald Trump as president. You've got to have a lot of resistance because I know there are a lot of Catholics, conservative Catholics, who you can't say anything bad about the Pope. They think it's almost sacrilegious. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm afraid this is the culture into which the Catholic Church has developed in recent times. And it, it, it's not the, the, the genuine uh, vision of, of the papal office uh, as it existed for centuries. Um, the, 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 the idea of turning the... Um, uh, Pope himself personally into uh, a hero was not present in earlier centuries. People um, considered that what, what, what was important was the papal office, and uh, it, it was uh, taken for granted that the role of the Pope was to preserve the deposit of faith, not to, <clears throat> not to, to, to simply um, uh, throw out his own ideas to the world. What opposition is there within the Church, the College of Cardinals, to the Pope's ideas? Well, there, there are those who uh, are extremely worried from the doctrinal point of view. Uh, they, they, um, they see Pope Francis as introducing a relativism in uh, Catholic teaching and uh, re um, relaxing Catholic practice on the matter of uh, marriage and divorce. But then on the other hand, you have a more political group who were in fact behind the election of Pope Francis, the, uh, the, the cardinals in Rome, the, the ones who worked for the Curia. Uh, and they uh, are getting a bit worried uh, about the way uh, Pope Francis is, is behaving. And the reports have been that there's a, a movement among them to um, try and put pressure on Francis to, to resign. What do you think is the likelihood of that happening? Well, frankly, I, I don't think it's very likely. Uh, but um, one would have to be a real Vatican insider to, to, to be able to judge that. Um, uh, I, I, I don't think it's likely that uh, Pope Francis will be forced to resign. Now, I understand. I mean, maybe it's wrong, but I, I understand that you've been suspended from the Order of Malta because of this book? That, that's correct, yes. Uh, I have. Um, within uh, two days of... Uh, my name being revealed, I received a letter from the government of the order saying that I was being suspended. Was the reason given? Oh, yeah, yes. The reason given is, the, is that my book is not in accordance with the uh, duty of obedience to the Pope that a, uh, that a Knight of Malta owes. Is this common knowledge among the, the Knights of Malta around the world? 
Oh, yes. I, I would say everybody knows it, yes. Can you just describe, because some of the audience is going to have no idea what we're talking about, What what is the Order of the Knights of Malta? Well, the, the Order was founded in the 12th century, in the time of the Crusades. They were the Knights Hospitaller. They, they were founded to fight the Crusades and, and to uh, um, serve the uh, Christian hospital in Jerusalem. Nowadays, it just uh, does uh, hospitaller and charitable works. Um, I, I was called to, um, to Rome in 2013 by the Grand Master, uh, who, who has now been forced to resign. Uh, I, I was called to Rome to um, write a, a book on the recent history of the order. Again, the recent Grand Master was asked to resign? That, that's right, yes. There was this um, uh, controversy over the uh, distribution of condoms by the order's charitable works, contrary to Catholic teaching. Uh, the the man who had been responsible responsible for the uh, uh, charitable works was Baron Berzelager. Now, um, the Grand Master from Matthew Festing asked him to resign and, in fact, dismissed him. Uh, then the Vatican stepped in. Um, uh, Pope Francis summoned uh, um, uh, from Matthew Festing to, uh, to, to the Vatican and uh, asked him to resign. It's a, a rather uh, curious uh, fact that um, the, the Pope has reinstated Baron Berzelager, who's been accused of violating Catholic moral teaching in, in the matter of condom distribution, and has punished Fra Matthew Festing, who tried to uphold Catholic moral teaching. Do you want to spend a minute talking about Cardinal Burke? Yes. C- Cardinal Burke uh, is the patronus of the order. That is to say, he's the Vatican's diplomatic representative to the order. Uh, and he was involved uh, in in this uh, business that I've just described. Uh, and in fact, if you want to under- understand the uh, very curious action uh, taken by Pope Francis, it was really uh, a- a- a meant to strike a blow at Pope Francis, because uh, Fra Matthew Festing, as Grand Master, was uh, Pope uh, was uh, uh, Cardinal Burke's. Uh, a great supporter in uh, in the Order of Malta, uh, and by removing Fra Matthew Festing, um, the Pope has uh, completely undermined uh, Cardinal Burke's position, and in fact, his his authority as uh, Patronus of the Order has been suspended by the appointment of a special papal delegate to. Uh, um, oversee the Order of Malta. Now, I know some of the people listening out there are non-Catholics. They're going to be a little astounded by this because, you know, a lot of cases it appears like the Church is united, the College of Cardinals, the Pope, the bishops, they all speak with one voice. Uh, Well, I assure you that's not the case, and it hasn't been the case for a very long time. There are um, strong parties within the Church, Uh, and um, I, I think we're in a state of division within the church such as hasn't existed uh, hasn't existed for a very long time what do you suggest that the members of the lady do what what should they be outside of praying i mean that could go without saying uh, well um clearly i uh, i'm concerned with the the laity who uh, um who are orthodox uh, and who believe in upholding uh, traditional catholic doctrine uh, what I would say to them is continue to do so, uh, continue to speak the truth, and also I think um, um, uh, inform yourselves um, 
uh, about what's going on in the church, um, realize the the kind of regime that we have in Rome at the moment. Yeah, I think I think it's important for some people to realize that they're not being disloyal to the church because they don't agree with the Pope. Yes, that's so. I mean, I, I had absolutely no idea of being disloyal to the uh, church. In fact, I chose as my pen name uh, the name Mark Antonio Colonna, which, who was uh, a great uh, uh, soldier of the Catholic Church in the 16th century. Um, my, uh, my intention is to uphold the papal office as it ought to be. Uh, what I'm worried about is the way in which Pope Francis, uh, as, a, as an individual, is uh, is leading the church. The name of the book is The Dictator Pope. Now, will they find that under Henry Sear or Mark Antonio Colonna? No, I, it's still under the original name, Mark Antonio Colonna. Uh, it's just that uh, the printed edition, unlike the, uh, the email edition that came out last November, the printed edition actually discloses who I am. How much pressure are you receiving right now, either to... to to recant your book or to take it back? Uh, I'm, I'm not receiving pressure. Uh, pressure. Um, what's happened, as, uh, as uh, we've discussed, is that I've been suspended by the Order of Malta, but of course they can't have any influence on the, uh, on the fate of the book. Thank you for, for writing your book. Good luck with it. Henry Sear, Mark Antonio Colonna, the name of the book, The Dictator Pope. Thank you for being on Connor's Corner. Thank you very much. Thank you. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress, a government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. Hi, this is Patrick Wayne. I had the good fortune to be raised by a man of strength and courage, a man of true grit. My father, John Wayne, died of stomach cancer in 1979. And in his characteristic style, he ignored advice to keep his disease quiet and campaigned publicly to encourage preventive treatments. He inspired our family to carry on that mission. And today, the John Wayne Cancer Institute at Providence St. John's Health Center in Santa Monica, California, continues to take bold steps in cancer research. The John Wayne Cancer Institute has developed novel approaches to detect cancer, establishes therapies to boost the immune system to fight what my dad called the big C, and initiated less invasive surgeries. 
We've made significant advances in treating melanoma and breast cancer. All this has been made possible by my father's legacy of determination and a community of supporters who have helped expand upon that legacy. For more information, visit www.jwcigiving.org. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. With me right now is Dr. Michael Brescia. A lot of my medical doctor friends and clients, he's a hero to them. One of the reasons he's a hero is the work he's done with Calvary Hospital. How are you doing today, doctor? Very good, thank you. What, what's your position with Calvary Hospital, and what is it? What is Calvary Hospital? Well, I'm a, Calvary Hospital is a, a hospital that is dedicated its uh, life to the care of uh, it's, it's professional life to the care of people who are suffering from advanced cancer and it morphed into other other diseases which are uh, present at the end of life. Uh, it started actually in 1843 in uh, Lyon, France, when a woman by the name of Madame Gagné passed the hospital and saw them pick a woman up on a litter and uh, place her outside the hospital. And I always wondered why they did that, because uh, she did have a malignancy, and they believed that malignancies were the wrath of God. But what I found out later through my own investigation was that cancer, a large, horrible cancer tumors, are very putrescent. They smell badly, different kinds of gangrene, etc. So rather than have what they considered a uh, awfully toxic person in the hospital, they put him in the street. Uh, this other woman, Madame Garnier, who's only in her early 20s, passes by, sees one of these women, gets her three little children, because she's a widow herself, puts them in a wagon and takes them home uh, and does the best she could. Uh, about a week later, she passes the hospital again, and there's another, and then another. And after four or five patients with these terrible wounds and diseases, she walks into her apartment, a small, humble apartment, and says, my house is a house of Calvary, which we know in Christianity, Calvary was a garbage dump where people that were crucified were uh, abandoned. And it was just a, a, a horrible uh, a situation. So that's that's where the word Calvary came from. And... This went on for a while, and other people were looking for, because they thought there would be some special indulgences, other people in France began to make houses of Calvary. And before long, there were many in Europe, throughout all of Europe, uh, houses of Calvary. American widow, Annie Blount Stores, is on vacation. She's fairly well-to-do. She sees in Brussels a house of Calvary and becomes fascinated with it, comes back to New York, gets consent from the Cardinal in New York, and opens a House of Calvary on Perry Street in the village, New York. That holds four beds and uh, opens another one on Worcester Street in the city, again, four beds. Now, uh, we can't live in those areas anymore because of what the houses cost, but at that time, it was tenements, and she... Uh, took care of these uh, the, the, uh, patients in these houses of Calvary. They were called the Dames, the Women du Cave of Calvary, and they they uh, took care of them. That's 1843. 
it 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 continues to swell and finally in 19 uh 1893 the first one opens in the village and then uh the the um folks come by and uh they look because the original women of of Calvary were dying and they get permission to take over a boys school in the South Bronx in 1915 and again now they increase the kinds of patients there to men with cancer and children which people don't recognize that Calvary was the first children's hospice ever, and it was palliative care for children. We had about 10 uh, patients at a time in uh, in the old Calvary Hospital in the South Bronx. So while this is uh, going on, different orders of nuns are taken over for the original women that died. And by 1958, this 115 beds are filled, and... Uh, I'm asked in 1963 to come over and help out from the uh, Cardinal. At the time, it was Cardinal Cook come over to help out with some of this stuff. I, I meanwhile, had no intention of doing any such thing. I was uh, in the process of doing primary research on organ transplant. And the big challenge at that time, this was going on together, and I think they God meant it that way. And when uh, uh, I, I got there, uh, to to uh, to do this, I I was so some ways smitten, but nevertheless, I was heading out to one of the major universities to start kidney transplant program. The big challenge at that time was to find a method to do dialysis over and over again, because there was no real method. And the methods that we were doing hysterically was to do cadaver kidneys. Now, after someone died, we harvested the kidney and tried to do transplant. This was not very successful because we couldn't do dialysis over and over again. It was quite limited. Um, the big the big thrust was find a method to be able to, we have two arteries in our arm, find a way to make 200 arteries. Everybody said that was impossible. Could never be done. Um, I'm at the VA uh, one day, and um, I decide to go down for a hamburger, to go down for a hamburger, and sitting at a table, very despondent, because I didn't have another way to dialyze these young veterans. And I'm sitting at the table, and I put two French fried potatoes on the table in front of me, side by side, looking at them, and say, one's an artery, one's a vein. How the heck am I supposed to get from two to 100? This is not going to be possible. Well, by that time, I guess the angel Gabriel was sitting on my shoulder and said, yes, there is. Yes, there is. I said, no, no, there isn't. I bit into the hamburger, and ketchup dollop fell out of the hamburger in between the two French fried potatoes and formed an H. That is, in medicine, a fistula. Uh, It's an abnormal connection between an artery and vein, a short circuit. And I quickly looked at that, and something whispered in my ear, it's a fistula. Make a fistula in the wrist. And everyone said, no, you can't do that. The patient will go into heart failure, blah, blah, blah. We did it anyway. And lo and behold, uh, it worked. And the Brescia Tamino Fistler was invented. Um, We were uh, able to then do unlimited number of dialyses. And my my, uh, proposition was that 
when a vein is subjected to the blood of an artery, it will change itself into an artery. And they said that can't happen. I love when people say it can't happen. It did happen, and it became uh, they became arteries. So now exactly what I needed was 200 arteries. We could keep doing dialyses until a kidney was donated and done. And right now, I'm just going to jump ahead. Right now in Europe, there's 120 million dialyses. There's 120 million people on dialysis who has the Brescia uh, fistula in their wrist. 120 million. They're dialyzed three times a week. 400, uh, and, uh, and I'll tell you why that's important. Nevertheless, that was uh, that's what's happened since then. Uh, I'll get to some of the other aspects of this in a few minutes. Dr. Brescia, we need to take a short break. You're listening to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. For our Ask the Lawyer friends and listeners, you can attend any of Connors & Sullivan's free seminars on elder law, Medicaid, wills, and estate planning, and more. Yes, it's all free and all close to you. So come to Connors & Sullivan's free seminars. On Tuesday, May 22nd at Connolly's Corner, 71-17 Grand Avenue in Masspeth, Queens at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m. at Lenny's Clam Bar, 161-03 Cross Bay Boulevard in Howard Beach, Queens on Thursday, May 24th at 11 a.m. 3 p.m. and on Friday, May 25th at the Adria, 221-17 Northern Boulevard in Bayside, Queens at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. Can't go to any Connors & Sullivan's free seminars? Then call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 for your own free office appointment. Make an educated decision on your estate and family legal solutions today. Just call Connors & Sullivan at 718 238 6500. That's Connors and Sullivan, 718-238-6500 or go to connorsandsullivan.com. Find out what you're entitled to. Come to a Connors and Sullivan free seminar. For more information, call 718-238-6500 or go to connorsandsullivan.com. Connors and Sullivan. Plan now for later. Welcome back to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. We're talking right now to Dr. Michael Brescia, Executive Medical Director of Calvary Hospital. I didn't leave this small place in the Bronx, and because of the fame with this fistula, I was able to attract doctors, specialists, and a lot of the things that would never have been possible because people wanted to come and work with us with that. And Calvary Hospital, because of its fame, and because of the fistula, and because everybody and everything came together, became, uh, we went to get uh, permission for uh, acute care hospital status so that we could charge Medicare and Medicaid for doing a dialysis. Prior to the fistula, and prior to that time, we were making $12 a day to take care of these patients. You could even feed them. Uh, after the fistula, and after we were made a hospital, we were $300 a day. We were able to bill for $300 a day. And Calvary became the single type of hospital in the United States and maybe in the world de de devoted to uh, taking care of patients with terminal illness. We became ours. We were able to do that because we'd have to go beg for $250,000 to keep the hospital running. Now we had millions. And we used it 
uh, and provided a single type of care that exists now at Calvary Hospital. Yeah. Um, we now have uh, um, um, people coming from the entire world for um, dialysis and education. We, the Russians just, believe it or not, the Russians just left. The Russians are coming. The Russians are coming. <laughs> the Russians came, and uh, we had six doctors here uh, studying how to do dialysis the way we do it, to study about how we did the fistula. I went to my father when the fistula was invented, and people love this story, but it's true. I went to my dad, and I said, Dad, sono invento una fistula. I invented a fistula. And for those who are dying of kidney disease. And what I want to do is uh, a drug company wants to sell it to me, and I have to leave it uh, for a year so they can open up all the centers around the world. And there was silence. And my father says, Quanto uh, morunan. In Italian, I'm give, translating to you because we spoke in Italian. He sa I said, Cinquanta uh, mila, 50,000. And dad said, No, no, Silvio mia, no, my son, no, no. In Italian, the verb that something was given to you by God, he didn't give it to you to make money, he gave it to you to share with others who need you. And my father said, La Charlie, give it away. Uh, and I said, no, Papa. We, my father grew up. <laughs> Where was your father from? I know Italy, he but was, he was from Italy. He was a little kid. Uh, and he uh, he was orphaned very early. His father died in the fall, and uh, his mother was sick. She had angina, and so he went to work as a little kid. And uh, he worked in the downtown Manhattan on Pleasant Street, and um, he shoveled snow and shoveled coal. And that's what he did. And yet. Despite all this, he found great joy and happiness in his life and with his children, with his family. Sounds like, a, yeah, yeah, we all, no, it's true. He <laughs> was a happy, wonderful guy. And he knew something that we didn't know, obviously. He knew something about the other world that we don't know. And he said, no, 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 Charlie. And I said, no, Papa. Dobbiamo, dobbiamo aiutare per, per mangiare. We need stuff for the heat and for the children and for school. He goes, no. I go, no, no, my foot. I said, no, I want to get something. And he says, quando tu mangi, e quando tu vedere nello specchio, when you look in the mirror, tu facci sparire, la facci dei figli, uno dopo l'altro, su uscire. He says, and when you shave in the morning, your face will disappear from the mirror and the faces of the children. You'll see them. Trust me, you'll see them. One after another, they're going to come in the mirror and say to you, I'm dead, and I wanted to be with my family, but I'm dead because you needed cars and boats and money and wealth. No, he says. And then he says, like, when you go eat, an empty chair for the mother and father that are not there to eat with you because you needed all this wealth. La Charlie. So now, in my family, whenever we make a toast, daddy's gone. It's La Charlie. We raise our glasses. And that toast is to him, that wonderful, wonderful man. It only comes one seven. We gave it away. I made $26. The title of this article here says, 
a life of significance is more than money. You're telling me the <laughs> opening price was $1 billion. $1 billion. Yes. And you gave and that I'll up. Tell, yes. And I'll tell you this. Now that would be chicken feed because in the early years because the most wealthy people in the world all over, they had, had to go on dialysis three times a week. And three dollars, three times a week, I would get fifty bucks for each dialysis. Doesn't seem like a lot, but when you three times one hundred twenty million, just in Europe, I'm talking here, uh, over three hundred million of dialysis uh, in in uh, in uh, Europe. It was amazing. Even I was shocked when I saw the number of that there. And I, all I did was I said I can't even count the zeros on that one. Uh, that that was amazing, and that there was given away, and even Colin Dole and I were laughing. I said, Mike, we could have used a little bit, maybe about eighty million to finish St. Patrick's. I said, you're right, you're right, we could have finished something with this year. But nevertheless, um, that was that was given away, so um, uh, totally away. And you know what? He was so right. Oh my God! I'd go to sleep at night. I'd be seeing the kids. I'd be he- I'd be hearing his voice. I I I would have went crazy. But nevertheless, I have everything I need. I have a wonderful family. God made me a physician. I'm doing all these wonderful things. Now, the fistula and kidney disease is more popular than ever. And palliative care is eccentric for so much of the healthcare issues that we're dealing with today. I've been traveling a lot to go present uh, a dialysis, but more importantly, palliative care. In the old Calvary, we took care of, we went from just men, I mean just women, just men, women. widows, to men also, and then children. We were the first hospice for children. Then we became an acute care hospital. We're not a hospice. We are a hospital. We can do anything here. We can do surgery. We can do special x-ray, everything here. It's a center. And when my father, I told him, I used to go, to, go tease my dad and say, Dad, Calvary. So all the poor ones came to Calvary. Liberace, Andropov, Fernando Marcos. I, I stopped mentioning these million, millionaire celebrities who were waiting for the kidney. They were trying to get dialyzed. And when they found us, the government gave us permission to do it to these people using the advertisement. Liberace was injured in a car. He went into renal shutdown. Andropov died of kidney disease. Came to Calvary. So we 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 did. right now. Uh, I am uh, built three other parts of Calvary. We have this Calvary Hospital here. We opened a inpatient hospice in Queens called Ozanam. We opened an inpatient hospice in Mary Manny Walsh in Manhattan. And then we opened a mini Calvary, a regular Calvary hospital in Brooklyn, where you are. It's uh, in Lutheran Hospital. We get we buy the beds from them, and now it's an acute care hospital. So that's all that's happened to me. It's not. It's it's a lot, I know, but at the same time, it just seems so normal as we went away. By the way, along the way, Dobbs Ferry Hospital, which was a whole hospital in Westchester offered me the hospital for $1. I went to see them to just look at the facility. I thought maybe we could open a hospital there. They had the board of directors there and some papers to sign. They said, sign this, and this place is yours for a dollar. I left that too. 
something about me and money don't go too well. You know? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't pay much attention to it. But that's what's happened. Uh, and here I am. I met Joe at Legados. 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 Uh, yeah. And uh, I don't know if you remember that either. Yes, I am, oh. yeah. Oh, you are? Okay. Yeah. Well, we. I met I don't know if you were there that night. I was, yes. Oh, good. Okay, good. <laughs> Very good. Well, congratulations. It's a wonderful organization. Thank goodness gracious. It's across the country. So that's that's what happened. And uh, here I am. I wish I had something else to tell you. We have, um, I guess, I guess that's all of it. I don't. I have nothing else left in me. I don't think anymore. <laughs> I think you got a few things left in you. But thank you for sharing your memories. Yes. Good. Thank you. Okay. And how old did your father, when he passed away, how old was he? My father was 89. And what part of Italy? He uh, came from Brescia. No. Okay. Makes sense. They gave him, it was very common for them when they arrived to, to get the uh, name of the, of the, they asked him, where are you from? So they'd say, name the city. And with the name of the city, they were, uh, they were given that, now, all right, your name is Brescia. And that's how we got the name. His mother was Rinaldi. So my mother was from uh, Isernia, which is just outside of Rome. So we, here we are. I have six children, three doctors. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to decide, you know, what, what I, what I should, should I keep. I'm traveling a lot now, talking. They, they have me going all over. The, the, the Far East is, is fascinating. Korea, Japan. Uh, I didn't go yet. <laughs> Montreal, we are going to um, – uh, I just came back from North Carolina, going to Boston, uh, Manhattan College, Galveston, um, where else? Galveston, Texas, uh, Houston, uh, and San Francisco. So – been, been traveling around a lot, and I think people are, uh, are fascinated with the uh, the combo that have. I think that we never would have got the uh, palliative care because officially didn't exist. How could I attract people to come? And we got the best premier. That we had the best doctors, chief of orthopedics from uh, uh, NYU. I mean, when they what, what what got them was they know who we were. You know, I go over there and say, well, I'm Dr. Brescia. They say, yeah, do you know Michael Brescia? He's in <laughs> Pennsylvania. And I'd say, yeah, I know. He's he's right here. He's not in Pennsylvania. He's over here in the South Bronx here. And uh, I, I I think that uh, – I think if there were a plan up there, this all came together, you know. I used to take uh, uh, the children home who had these cancers, and I'd bring them home on Friday night. And my children would prepare parties and birthday parties, and all the kids would sing and play with them. And uh, you know, it, it was a glorious time. It's almost that you left the world of humans and entered the world of the divine. It was just an amazing time. And I almost adopted one, Joseph. His father had abandoned him, and I was walking down a path, and the nun said, look, we found this baby. And at that time, in 60, anything could happen. It wasn't like now where you had to go call the police, you had to do nothing. There was a baby. That's it. Take it, raise it, love it. And uh, Joseph came in, and I would take him home. He's a little guy. He was only about two. I would take him home every 
Friday night, each day over the weekend, and Monday morning on the way to work, I dropped Joseph off. We became very, very close, and then one day, in the lobby of the hospital, the old hospital in the Bronx, I see this gentleman sitting there, and I knew that this guy knew the baby. But I didn't say anything because I was hoping he'd go away. Because oh, we were making plans, we were going to take him. And what what happens is the gentleman sitting in the in the lobby walks up to the nuns and says, "Do you, uh, who's that man taking the baby?" And they said, "Well, he loves him, and he's the medical director." And they said, "Oh, really?" He said, "Well, I'm the father." And the nun said, "Yeah, we know, but isn't it nice that he takes him home to play with his children?" He said, "Well, I want to take him home." Oh, my God, I was devastated. Well, what was going to happen to him? I mean, could we just, I wasn't going to let him go. I was going to fight like hell. I wasn't going to let him go. But the nun said, we'll go see his house. We'll go with him. Anyway, they go with him, the father. They don't let the baby go with him, but they go with him. His father owns the huge winery on the north shore of Long Island. Hmm. He doesn't rent it. He owns it. And um, because he saw me with him, he takes him home. Of course, we were very careful. We visited every, yeah, you could visit, of course. About eight to ten years later, uh, I see this truck pull up with all kinds of fruits and presents and all the rest. And I see this little kid staring out of the window, the front window. He jumps out of the front, and it's Joseph. And he stares at me, and I stare at him, and he, he knows it's me. I think he knows it's me, and I turn my head and walk away because I knew I could not start again. And uh, Joseph is somewhere. I hope he's good. I don't know. Uh, so that was my thing. I said, no more no, no, no more taking anybody home because it's just too much agony. Oh, my God. Yeah. Anyway. So that, that's uh, that's the stuff we have here. Uh, I hope it's useful. Yeah, thank you for the, you know, thank you for the Italian lesson, the history, <laughs> and and everything else. Thank you for the memories, Dr. Brescia. Uh, thank you. Thank All you. Right. Take care of yourself. God bless you. I, thank you so much. Bye-bye. You know, talking to Dr. Brescia, I, I remember a movie, The Third Man, which, by the way, those who remember, we talked to Michael Corder a few months ago, and his uncle was involved in producing that movie. But there's a scene in The Third Man where the, the, the villain Orson Welles is speaking to the hero, Joseph Cotton, and they're on a Ferris wheel uh, way above the, the, the crowds in Vienna, Austria. And Orson Welles was sending defective penicillin and making thousands of dollars on it because there was such a shortage of penicillin in post-war Vienna. And he says to Joseph Cotton, well, you know, taking it out there. Look at the specs walking down there. Would you say if, if you got $10,000 for each spec that stopped, would you say no, or would you try to figure out how many specs can you afford to lose? And and here's the exact opposite. A man who could have made literally billions of dollars but didn't want to patent his invention because if he didn't patent it, it would take years to get out, and at least 50,000 people, according to his estimation, would have died. And with his father being his conscience, and I really don't believe that his father was as much of a conscience to him as he said. It came from his own deep feeling, belief, it's religious in his own beliefs. Heart. In his yeah. own heart. Yeah. So, and, somebody else can't do that for you. Yeah. So here's a man who literally has saved millions of lives over the years, 
and he could have been rich, he could have been a billionaire, and he gave that up to save lives. And I mean, sometimes doctors get bad raps and everything else, but you know, sometimes medicine is a noble profession, and there are a lot of guys out there who do practice medicine who are doing the very best for their patients, the world, and everything else. And you really have to salute Dr. Brescia. Not only that, the work he's done with Calvary Hospital over the years, you know, to pr- provide comfort to to the dying. Just you just got to admire the man. Wish him and his family the best, and I'm sure the the Lord will be taking care of him in, in the long run. Absolutely, we should pray for all the all the people in healthcare. It's so hard. It's so hard. We're coming to the conclusion of this week's show. Next week, Memorial Day weekend, we're going to start, and we're going to be talking to Marine Corps League representative of the Marine Corps League. Hopefully, Joe Mantegna. And I think we're going to go back. Next weekend is going to be John Wayne's birthday, so we got to do something about the searchers and John Wayne. So Absolutely. <laughs> next week, same time, place, Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth. Bye-bye, everybody. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. Whether you need help with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, living will, or protecting your assets from nursing home costs, Connors & Sullivan's goal is always the protection of your rights and interests. The professionals at Connors & Sullivan have been helping people like you plan their estates and protect their families for over 30 years. I'm Mike Connors. Come to our office for a free initial consultation. Talk with me or one of our experienced attorneys to see how we can help you protect your family, your assets, and your legacy. There is no one strategy that fits everyone but the biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is no planning at all call connors and sullivan attorneys at law today to schedule a free initial consultation with an attorney at any of their convenient locations in brooklyn midtown manhattan queens and staten island 718-238-6500 that's 718-238-6500 or visit their website connorsandsullivan.com The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors & Sullivan, Attorneys at Law, PLLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.